Hey everyone, this is Jeff popping in before the episode officially starts, but recording after we recorded the whole episode to let you know that we recorded on Thursday night, the 19th, and then the next day, the next morning, Friday morning, we received news that Mike Richards had stepped down as the new host of Jeopardy, so we're like, oh my gosh, uh... Little, little tricky timing there, so there's a bit of a postscript at the end of this episode, so stay tuned for that. I'll see you there. Hello, listeners. You are listening to another episode of That's Entertainment. I am your pop culture maven, Jeff Malone. And usually with me is my Aunt Beth Woods, but she is uh, taken off today. Maybe she's still in vacation mode, although I think she has returned to Maine. But to make up for her absence, I have brought on a plethora of guests, a few familiar voices and one first time guest. So let me go ahead and bring them in first on. Uh, well, I'll do them in order of how frequently they've been on. We'll uh, save the newest, most sparkly for last. So first off, live from Yardley, Pennsylvania, this is his third time on a full-length episode. He's also been on a few mini-episodes as well. It's my dad, Bob Malone. Dad, how are you? Hi. Hello again. I'm fine. Awesome. Very good. And... Then right over in this corner, live from Atlanta, Georgia, his second time as a full uh, episode guest, it's Stephen Grade. Stephen, how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me back, Jeff. Of course, of course. Always lovely to have you. And now for the first time guest, live from Hutto, Texas, it's Sarah Jet Rayburn. Sarah, how are you today? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Thank you for making it. And uh, so listeners, you may have picked up on this already. The, and perhaps you knew something was up by reading the episode title. But there's something that all three of these guests have in common. And that is they are former contestants on a little game show called Jeopardy. Yay, us. We did it. <laughs> And uh, I believe they represent three different decades of uh, Jeopardy contestant experience. Oh, I guess that's true. I didn't, because Stephen and I, I guess, are in different decades. Yeah, technically. Yeah. Yeah, I was right well, up on the edge of November 2019. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even think about that since we're uh, so close together. I didn't, yeah. but yeah, you're right. And Jeff, it was so long ago, but I guess it was in the 90s, right, for me? It was, yes. Yeah. Back in the 90s when yes. Jack Horseman was the star of a, a successful TV show. <laughs> and I, I'm in the I lost on Jeopardy category. Oh, we all end up there sooner or later. Yes, yes. Yeah, that's true. That's what they right. always say. Yes. When they keep making you play until you lose. Yes. Um, okay, and so, uh, yeah, so we have three former Jeopardy contestants on, and you uh, listeners might be thinking, hey, we've you've already covered Jeopardy on That's Entertainment. Well, this is a sequel of sorts to that episode uh, because it's been a busy year for Jeopardy in the past 
12 months or more or thereabouts. Uh, in particular, what we wanted to talk about was the run of guest hosts who stepped in after the passing of longtime beloved host Alex Trebek. And well, because of the way it worked out, we'll also be talking about the new permanent hosts. That's plural uh, because it happened to uh, coincide with the end of the run for the guest hosts. So uh, we, yeah, well, I believe we all have thoughts about all of that. And uh, you, you might be, you listeners might be coming in with thoughts as well. And I, I mean, if you want to follow up with us on uh, social media or send us an email, uh, please do. I mean, it's, it's, there's the conversation is definitely happening on all the Jeopardy centric platforms out there. Um, but uh, yeah, so so dad you and i just got back from vacation a week ago and i i think uh, i feel like i'm already back in the the swing of getting so much work done do you, do you feel that way too or is this uh what do you think well it took a while to recover from vacation but uh yeah i'm ready i'm ready for whatever Stephen and Sarah, have you guys been on any vacations recently? Because uh, my our last episode, Aunt Beth and I, we recorded one, a special vacation-centric episode. So it was, it was a bit of a working vacation. But have you guys uh, ventured out? I went to Disneyland. Oh. Oh, did you say you went to Vegas? Oh, no, sorry. I, oh. was, I was about to jump in there with something, but you go ahead. Oh, no, you go ahead. Go ahead. And I'll oh, go no, next. no, no. I want, I want to hear about your Disneyland trip. I remember reading that Twitter thread. Sounds, sounds oh, like yeah, it was, it, was, it was exciting because we didn't start out going to Disneyland. We thought we were just going to take a road trip and basically stop in one place every night, you know, and just stay. We were going to stay in a different hotel, drive out to California and up, you know, from Southern California to Northern California and go across Lake Tahoe and into Colorado and then it turned out my son was getting car sick a lot and like Tahoe was on fire and there was plague in Colorado. So uh, we got to Joshua Tree where we stopped to see Andy Wood, um, who I just played with in the Tournament of Champions. And he, he made the mistake of inviting all of us to come see him in Joshua Tree. So I was like, okay, <laughs> that's kind of... up on that. What? Uh, you what gotta you take him oh yeah absolutely and i'm sure i won't be well i know i think ben went out to see him too so i i'm sure we won't be the only ones because it's a beautiful place out there and i actually had never been to joshua tree i we used to go to california all the time i had an aunt who lived in california there's an aunt for you i used to go Very to my nice. aunt's house in, in california just about every summer and uh but I had never been to Joshua Tree. It just, I don't know why. It just, we hadn't gone that way. And so that was exciting. It was like being in an episode of Scooby Doo. We went off on this like desolate desert road. Apparently, there's a way to come up more through civilization, but we went through a way that it just looked like we were driving off and, you know, all it was was desert stretching up into a lonely mountain and some pole boxes scattered. You know, it was, it was exciting. And Andy showed us around the whole town. And he showed us in the, around uh, the, the park, you know, Joshua Tree. We got to see rock formations and, of course, the Joshua Trees themselves. And then he took us to this restaurant where he performed in at the open mic night. And then he showed us the uh, movie studio that was out behind the restaurant, so where they used to uh, film Westerns and I think sometimes still do. So it was very exciting. 
Was, um, uh, was Andy was the one who uh, posted uh, on Twitter himself playing the Jeopardy team on his yes. guitar? Yes, yes, that's Andy. Yeah, I mean, he does stand-up comedy and he does writing and he and he plays the guitar and he sings and he plays the trombone and I mean, he's just like and he's a great tour guide. So we really enjoyed doing that. And then we went to La Jolla for just one night. Um, just to kind of, we planned to go to the tide pools, but we just timed it totally wrong. So we just ended up going to the beach. And then we went up to LA to see Kevin, uh, who was also a contestant with me in this just past TOC and see Kevin and his fiance, Kate. And we got to go see this amazing Lego exhibit at the museum with them, uh, the art of the brick. And that was, that exceeded my expectations by just like a million fold. That was incredible because it was recreations of like masterworks of art, like the famous kind of stuff you would study if you were studying for Jeopardy, for example, or just, you know, in a great works of art class. And you walk through and the, the artist tried to um, highlight certain aspects of every famous artwork. So he'd pick out like the Monet looks different as you get farther away. You know, I mean, just these little things that You'd see the the actual folds and the drapery of the statues. It was really interesting. They're all Legos. What? They were all Legos. Yes, all Legos. And I mean, you hear that. I expected it to be kind of gimmicky, but fun, you know. But it really was actual art. I mean, I was quite impressed with what he had done. And then you move into another room, and it's his own original works, and those were uh, astounding. I mean, those that was. I, once I moved through the first two rooms, you know, I didn't really expect anything more from it. And I was already really satisfied. And, but this was like, just looking at any artists, you know, new work. I mean, it was actually very moving. Some of the pieces were, it, it was exciting. I, I mean, it was, you're getting to see somebody's show and you're seeing the real passion in it. And, you know, the, I was blown away by the whole thing actually. And my kids loved it. And then we got to see the, the space shuttle Endeavor. Is that right? No, I'm worried I said the wrong space shuttle. I think it's Endeavor that they have there in the museum, the California Science Institute. I think that's right. Now I can't remember what I'm talking And then we went to Disneyland. I'll look it up quick. Yeah, I should know that. I was just there. I... It looks like it's the Endeavor, according to a yeah. Google shirt. Yeah. Now, was that a Lego or was that the actual space? No, no, that was the actual space. Oh, okay. <laughs> Although I would have been really impressed if they had made it out of Lego. <laughs> but we did get t-shirts that were of the space shuttle and uh, they were made out of Lego. Like the flames coming out of the <laughs> rocket were made out of Lego to advertise like everything going on in the museum at that time. So that was that was pretty cool. And I would never have even thought to go there. It was uh, Kevin's fiance, Kate, and he, he proposed to her on Jeopardy, you know? Oh. Well, he couldn't propose on Jeopardy because of COVID stuff, but he made a tape um, and then like recording on the, on the stage and then showed it to her at home and then recorded her reaction and they showed it online, you know, but, uh, but it was her idea to go see all of this. And it was just, incredible and not something I'd ever expected so that was great and then we thought well you know Andy had just been in like swimming in like in a race in, in Lake Tahoe and we were just hearing more and more not just from him but like that Lake Tahoe was on fire you know and so we weren't really sure that our original plan was working very well especially since my son is six he was getting really restless and not happy with the just driving the car all day kind of vacation so we went to Disneyland 
and it was very fun. <laughs> it was, we, we never would do that ordinarily because we basically just went on the spur of the moment on a weekend. And that's, you know, <laughs> there, we, we thought there would be, you know, a lot of crowds and there were, but we had, we had fun with it. We enjoyed it. So that was nice for us. And um, yeah, that's, that's it. That was my vacation. <laughs> so what, what did you do, Stephen? I would like to know. Uh, I haven't been up to nearly that much. She's been having a uh, much more exciting adventures than I have lately. Uh, the only trip I've been on lately was to go house hunting. Uh, <laughs> we are we're going to be moving uh, in the next month or so. So we uh, we had done some virtual tours, but we uh, drove down to Orlando to uh, check out the house that we had settled on and make sure everything looks good and that we still liked it in person as opposed to on video. And yeah, it uh, it looks it looks like it might be the winners. So uh, that's uh, b- before the move from the last trip we'll be taking, and then it'll be like we're on vacation every day because we'll be living in a new place until it becomes home. And you'll that's be right exciting. there. You'll be uh, right. You'll be able to go to Disney World every day. Yes, indeed. It's uh, it's going to be very tempting. So, uh, we'll we'll definitely be getting the most of the theme parks down there. That is uh, that is beyond question. Before that, I mean, Disney was probably the last vacation that we took before that. Uh, or, you know, everything started going a little sideways last year. Uh, so it'll be good to bring things a little bit full circle and uh, be back down there and be able to experience the parks again, you know, hopefully under more normal circumstances. Hopefully, yes. Hopefully, yeah. If, hopefully if any variants that are coming our way can be back, beat back by booster shots if we need them. Yep. Yeah, hopefully. But, all right. So after all that, vacation talk it's time to get back to the nitty-gritty of discussing jeopardy so uh, in case you are a first-time listener or if you just need a refresher on that's entertainment we pick a pop culture topic a new one each episode well usually a new one this is a repeat one uh, and we discuss it according to the three f's first favorite and forever and uh yeah so it's a way of putting things in context and uh We'll jump right into it. Usually I have a a little intro to set the mood, but I already uh, did my Jeopardy intro in the first Jeopardy episode. So if uh, you haven't listened to that episode, you can go ahead and pause this one and listen to that one first. So we'll be here waiting for you. Um, But uh, we'll go ahead and in the meantime, get to recording. So uh, I'm going to combine the first and favorite sections this time around because uh, Stephen and I have already provided our answers to these questions in the earlier episodes. So Dad and Sarah, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. Uh, Dad, I'll let you go first as the um, you can say elder, it. as the elder oh. statesman of the crowd. Okay. Um, so the, the questions uh, for you at, at hand right now are, what are your earliest memories of watching Jeopardy? And then what's your favorite uh, elements of Jeopardy? Your favorite one or two contestants of all time and any other favorite Jeopardy moments? Well, well yes, uh, there's no hiding it. I am the... Uh, eldest oldest person here so i go way back i remember jeopardy uh when it started in the 60s so uh and it was on i believe at noontime so i would run home from school uh at lunchtime most people ate lunch at school but uh since i i walked to school but 
at lunchtime, I would run home so that I could watch Jeopardy. I don't think too many other grade schoolers were watching Jeopardy, but I would run home uh, so that I could get home in time, eat my lunch and watch Jeopardy. So I guess this was probably in sixth grade. Um, and these were the, obviously the Art Fleming days. Um, and even at that time, I wanted, you know, there would be, I don't know if they had kids Jeopardy. I know I had tried out for children's concentration and, and some other shows, but uh, I think they had a competition to submit your own Jeopardy board and things. So my mother and I were, you know, all gung ho about Jeopardy from, from back then. So those are my, that's my earliest, um, earliest memory, but then my, probably my favorite memory of Jeopardy would be getting the call. Um, you know, I had, at that time you would submit postcards and go in. And so there were several years where I had submitted and then finally um, I went into New York and took the test and go through that whole process. But the real excitement, uh, again, because I wasn't too successful on the show, but the excitement was when I got a call one night and they said, Bob, you're, you are selected to be on the show. And that was just so much fun. And I couldn't wait to tell, you know, tell people at work and tell my family. So, uh, you know, that's, that's stuck with me. Um, oh, and then, so you also, favorite, favorite uh, contestants. Um, I would say James, obviously James Holzhauser just was a revolutionary contestant, but also his whole personality was, uh, you know, he wasn't arrogant about it. Um, just really liked the way he played. Um, and I don't think you really have to say much more. Just really liked, to, liked him, him, the, his whole person. Um, but one other person that I liked, because sometimes the present company excluded, sometimes champs can be a little unusual. Um, but I believe it was, was, was it Alex Jacob? Uh-huh. Yes. He was, you never knew just what he was thinking. Was he acting like that? He would, he'd scratch his back. He'd make faces. You didn't know if he was holding back or, or what was up with him. He was just, just a really strange, but a nice kind of strange guy. And I, I just really, you and I would look at each other and say, what's he up to now? You know? Yeah. Um, and I think you know, it, we got a little bit of explanation when we realized he was a poker player. Uh, yeah. Um, but he was, he was cool to watch. So those would, I, I would pick those as my two favorites. Also um, one more honorable mention, who's the guy that wrote the book? Um, Rebecca Stan. Bob Harris. Yeah. I liked him. I will defer now. Okay. Well. Uh, oh, and one more, one more. My favorite Jeopardy, final Jeopardy answerer was Sarah. She, Hi. yes, because of the way she, she would answer her, she would give you the annotated answers. She didn't just give the answer. She would explain, well, I was going to say this, but then I changed it to this. And that's why I did this. And I think of all the people on the show, she gave most, the most detailed explanations of her answers. And it was always quite humorous to watch her. Oh, thanks. I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed that. And I'm not just saying it because you're here. 
Well, you know, the first time I did it, I wasn't even, I wasn't trying to be cute or like do a thing. You know, I was just, I just blurted it out. And just, I think because at home, we all sit around and talk about, you know, what could Final Jeopardy be? And so I guess I just started talking to Alex because, yeah. you know, at home I would do that. And I, and and when, when was, I realized I shouldn't be talking, but he just kept talking yeah, back was, to me. He was quite amused by it, entertained, <laughs> because normally, he, you know, you're not supposed to talk or anything, but then kind of, you know, encourage you. He did. He was, and it made me feel so much better. And you know, afterwards, I thought it wasn't until later that I realized how extremely kind of him that had been, and how generous, you know, to instead of saying, you know, because he could have just said, oh, you know, we're not supposed to do that now, and then yeah. they could have just edited uh, it out. Yeah. And, you know, but instead, I was so. Like I would have been really crushed to be reprimanded by him, you know, because yeah. I, I wasn't trying to, I just started, it was just a natural thing that happened. And he treated me with such kindness and such, like, like he turned it into something that worked on the show, whereas mm -hmm. I was just being nervous and, you know, blurting out. I mean, he, not only did he reassure me as a person, but he made that work as kind of like, oh, a cute thing she does on the show. And, you know, well, I would say just one more thing. When I was on the show, which was the early 90s, I think Alex and it might be colored by the fact that I lost. But I think he was a little more impressed by himself. Um, my wife got that impression and I got that. He was a star and he walked out, you know, there and really didn't have as much um, interaction with the um, with the contestants, and I think as the years went by, he became uh, more uh, interactive and more giving with with the contestants. And, and I think you could you could see that, um, and you know, and was really more loved by the contestants and by the, um, yeah. the fans. He and, was so wonderful to me. I mean, that I never expected to have such a fulfilling um, experience playing with him because it's the kind of thing you watch when you're a little kid and you hope you'll get on and you imagine going on one day, but you don't really think it could ever be as good as it is in your imagination, you know? And, and then he, he was just, cause you know, you always hear like celebrity encounters that are disappointing or you, you idolize yeah. someone and then it just turned out. Yeah. To, oh, what a creep. You know, or, yeah. Right. Right. And he just, wildly fulfilled everything that I could have ever, you know, he surpassed my expectations of what, of what knowing him would be. So I was, I was thrilled that I got to play with him. I didn't even think I, honestly, I was slightly outside my window. I didn't, and I, I didn't think I would ever get on the show. I was actually quite depressed right before I got the call, not just about that, but I was having a really difficult call and I didn't. And then, uh, I mean, I just thought, well, you know, I'm not going to get called this time either. Um, I auditioned twice. So, I mean, not millions and millions of times, but still, I kind of got the idea that I didn't know what I was supposed to be doing or what I was doing wrong. So I just thought, you know, this isn't going to happen. And it's just, it's, you know, I always wanted to meet Alex Trebek and play with Alex Trebek. I didn't, I thought, you know, I wouldn't have that chance. And, and then I did. It was the most magical thing. It, it meant so much to me. And was really just one of the best experiences of my life and when you say stuff like that I feel like it sounds hyperbolic or something or like you're just being dramatic but I mean that was a wonderful experience that it it so far surpassed anything that I would have rationally expected from that kind of experience you know but I'm, I'm glad that 
you found the episodes entertaining. That was, <laughs> that's good. I, some people seem to really enjoy it. And then there were some people who wrote to me who were like, they had no patience for my antics as they called it. So I, um, I'm always happy if, if people liked it. Because I, I certainly did, you know. Yeah. All right. So, uh, yeah. Thank you, Dad, for all that. And thank you, Sarah, for going into that. And that, uh, I guess you've already kind of covered what uh, maybe you've kind of answered the first question, your earliest memories of watching Jeopardy. Uh, but, yeah, let's uh, hear some more. Your earliest memories of watching Jeopardy and your favorite memories. Okay. Well, I started watching Jeopardy really early, um, as early as I could. <laughs> I mean... I, I started, I didn't, I wasn't able to watch until Alex Trebek was the host, but I did start, I think it was the very first year that he was the host and I was in kindergarten, but I don't remember what time of day the show came on. I don't remember that. But what I do remember is that it was, it was 1984 when I was in kindergarten. So I think it probably was, you know, right around the start of, of his hosting. And I remember I used to watch Wheel of Fortune with my family in the evenings. And I would sit there and think, oh, this is so hard because my mother used to play games with me. She, she and I would play a lot of games together to pass the time when we were alone. And there was one called Probe that was kind of like Hangman. I mean, you'd write a word down, you'd pick a word, write it down, and then cover up the letters and your opponent would, well, there weren't really an opponent. They would try to guess the letters. The way I played with my mom, it was kind of collaborative because I was little, you know. And I remember so many times I would have trouble guessing her word. I would have trouble guessing her word because I didn't know how to spell correctly, you know, and I would get really frustrated about that. So I remember watching Wheel of Fortune thinking, this is so hard because you have so many words because probe, it was just one word, you know, and I was five. And there are all these words, you have to spell them right. These other people are playing against you. I could never do this, you know? And then I saw Jeopardy and I thought, oh, wait a minute, this is the game for me. You know, it doesn't have all that hard spelling. So I got very excited. I thought this one's much easier. You don't have to spell anything, you know, hardly ever. And so I, I was- I wanna jump in quick. Did you by any chance uh, have any conversations with Mackenzie Jones oh, during yes. the Tournament of Champions yes, about spelling? Well, I mean, not necessarily. Well, we did talk about spelling names because ironically, kind of given that she's Mackenzie, known for her spelling, mm -hmm. I had written her name down two different ways. And so I wasn't sure how to spell her name. And then I remember one time she misspelled my name and it was such an honor. I was like, oh, my name's been misspelled by Mackenzie Jones. You know, I've arrived. Uh, she Mackenzie is the nicest person. I I met her in the elevator when we were first there at the DOC, and I acted like a complete weirdo. I was just like, "Oh, Mackenzie!" I was so excited to meet her because, of course, I'd watched her. You know, I said, I "Didn't recognize you with your mask on." I mean, and then I was like, "Well, that's because I don't know you, but I feel like I know you." And I just kept getting kind of weirder and weirder about it. But she was so nice and uh, overlooked all of that, and we often ended up in the elevator together because our rooms were on the same floor. And yeah, I talked to her all the time. Uh, not so much about spelling now, but she's so funny. Mackenzie's real. Everyone actually in that TOC cohort is really funny. We have a group text where we just talk every day. I mean, maybe not every person every day, but there, but I mean, I mean, I feel like I'm just constantly in touch with all of them. And it's always just like a little joke here or there. And yeah, so we talked a little about spelling because I wrote her name down two mm -hmm. ways and I don't know why. Um, yeah, did, did you want me to go back to the 
to yeah, finish the weird. okay yeah I, I mean or i could say more about mckenzie but i don't know um, I um well, uh, yeah i'd say get, let's uh jump back into the, the early memories oh yeah so yeah i decided jeopardy was the game for me because the spelling didn't seem to be as big of an aspect and i had recently started playing we would go to these office parties for my dad. My dad worked at the Marriott Forum and the general manager of the hotel would invite us to employee parties and everyone would come have big parties at her house. Well, I was a little kid, so I was always worried about just not being any trouble so that it would be okay if I was there and not spilling things and, you know. And so I was sitting in one room and the adults were all playing Trivial Pursuit on teams in the other room. And I kept answering the questions from the other room. And so they called me in and they're like, why don't you just play on our team? And so then I was like, so thrilled with that, you know, because the grownups wanted me to play with them. So I tried to sharpen my trivia skills. So when Jeopardy came on, I suddenly realized, wait a minute, this is a way to like up my trivial pursuit game and I'll be more in demand than ever. If I can just learn all of these things. And Alex Trebek just seemed like he knew everything, you know, and I really enjoyed watching the show even as a young child thinking okay if I just pay enough attention I'll learn everything you know which obviously that's not necessarily the way it works but and then as a as I got older I kept watching Jeopardy I mean I would come home from school in elementary school in the afternoons and would watch every day and we'd have little trivia contests at my school and I would always win because you know I, I was watching so much Jeopardy at the time, I was a lot faster. Now I have a lot of trouble with the buzzer. But then I was just like, <clears throat> yeah, I used to, we had a little game at our school called the Koality Bowl, like, because we were the Kasurik Koalas. And so it was called the Koality Bowl. I, and so it was like a college bowl, but koala themed, but for elementary school. <laughs> and my team won all three years that I played. So I was very proud of that. And I would have to say that I, Oh, my Jeopardy watching, like a lot of my success to my Jeopardy watching was pretty. Um, and I always thought I would go on one day, but I never really started trying until I was an adult. I mean, I, I didn't even take the test the first time until after my daughter was born in 2009. I don't, I, I remember taking it one time and I would, I had had to take a bunch of cold medicine because I was really sick. And I thought, well, there's no way I passed this. And I don't think I did. And then I took it again and got called in for an audition. And I had said I would audition in Chicago because I have family in Omaha. So I thought, oh, well, you know, when I go for the audition, I'll go visit my relatives. But I didn't really think I would get called in for an audition. So I was very surprised. And we drove, my husband had just gotten back from India. And we like <laughs> been back for like one day. And then we drove all the way straight up to Chicago and uh, kind of a whirlwind little weekend in Chicago because he had to be back at work. And I, we like driving. So so I, my first audition was in Chicago in 2014. And I mean, they tell you, you know, you're in the contestant pool, but you don't know what will happen. I, I'm not sure that I passed the written test in person that time. So I was very nervous. And then the next audition I had was in New Orleans. And I think that was in 2018, 2017, 2018, I think? maybe 2017. I got, when I got, when I got called, I, I had just passed the 18 month window, like by a month or two, I think. So it, I don't know. So, well, I, so this, was that for when you ended up 
getting that on. was the time i actually got on so <laughs> your your episodes first aired was it last april yeah last april i taped yeah. in february and then they aired in april so 18 months before that would have been august 2018 yeah, so That's it was right. actually, yeah, and I had actually gone in early June 2018. So it was okay. actually technically more than 18 months. And a lot of people with me were in the same boat that it had been a little bit more than 18 months, but we didn't know why. We weren't, nobody explained that to us or anything. So we were just happy to be there. And other favorite players, I have a lot of favorite players. I was looking back to, last night I started looking through clips of, of, old, you know, former Jeopardy clips of people playing. And I thought, gosh, there's too many because I, I started getting really nostalgic and just like, <sighs> I don't know. Um, I've always really liked, well, Ken Jennings, but he's kind of like an obvious one. I like Ken because he just knows everything <laughs> and he doesn't have to do anything fancy or elaborately strategic. He just, you know, answers everything, <laughs> questions, everything, you know. <laughs> And so I always kind of appreciated that about him. Um, I like Julia Collins. There's, there have been so many that I liked. My mom really loved Buzzy Cohen. My mom actually, she's, she, I don't mind if someone's winning or not, it doesn't matter to me. I'm always just trying to respond myself, you know? But my mom, she did not like it when someone would win and win and win and win and win. She, she's like the opposite of a lot of people. She got really sick of like, Ken, for example, not anything against Ken. She just didn't like it when anyone, Ken, James, anybody like that. She didn't like the long, long, long streets. But she really loved Buzzy Cohen because she liked his glasses. <laughs> so she, she always would notice every episode. I'm lucky. I never even know if I'm wearing clothes or like, I just, you know, I'm very utilitarian about dress and things. My mother noticed all of the, like every accent item you know she always noticed Alex's tie she always noticed you know what kind of suit he was wearing and so Buzzy's glasses she was like oh that's a sharp look with those glasses and maybe one day when Alex retires he can be the host and so it was very exciting for me that I got to play with Buzzy as the host because that's exactly that would have made my mother so happy you know um I thought it was it meant so much to me when I this is just talking about the TOC a little bit. Um, but when, when we were rehearsing that day, I, but I, had, I wanted to talk about my mom and how she had let me wear all of her scarves because all the scarves I wore on the show were hers, you know? And she told me, you know, you need to wear a scarf for that pop of color and it turned out to be very cold in the studio. And that was a very good idea for warmth as well. But um, my mom had died in November she died the same week as Alex Trebek. She, he had died and then she died the following Sunday or Saturday, Friday. I don't even know what I'm talking about. She died on Friday after he died. And um, it was very sudden. Basically she was fine Thursday night and my husband woke me up Friday morning telling me that she had died. It, it, she came down the stairs really early. The kids and I weren't awake yet. And she was having a sharp pain in her chest. My dad helped her sit down. She said, I'm, I'm gonna pass out. And then they, they started trying to, um, my dad started trying to give her CPR right away. There was a police officer like one minute away from our house and ambulance was here within five minutes. And 
they worked on her for like an hour and never found a pulse. So my husband was waiting for them to stabilize her so he could tell me what was going on. And we thought we'd follow to the hospital, but um, he, because he, he didn't see a point in waking me up in the middle of it all when she was still unconscious, but then they never did stabilize her. And so there's this really horrible thing where I live with my mother and I mean, they, my parents live, well, they, my dad still does live in the house with us. And, and yet I wasn't there when she died, you know, it was a, so, um, it was important to me to be able to talk about her on the show. If I just got to tell one anecdote, you know, I wanted it to be about her because she was really on my mind at that time. And she had given me all the scarves, you know, and she had watched my son for me when I was playing because he was too little to come to the studio. And, um, and so I had picked that as the anecdote I wanted to tell. But before the show, Buzzy told me, uh, Buzzy said to me, Oh, I'm going to ask, I'm going to talk to you about the anecdote about your son. Is that okay? Cause it was kind of a cute little story about how my son wanted me to like, after I played the first time, my son uh, who was four at the time uh, wanted, wanted us to go on nailed it. He was, he said, Oh, you know, tomorrow we'll, uh, we'll go on nailed it. And then next week we'll watch ourselves. And my daughter said, well, you can't do that, buddy. And he said, well, why not? and so that was the story Buzzy wanted to tell because I think probably you know he has cute kids himself and it would be like a way to kind of have a little exchange that would be cute and but I I said oh no can we can we please tell the one about my mom and he was um I was really glad I had the courage to say that because that was really important to me and um he was so gracious about it and just agreed to tell the other story and I thought that was really really kind of him because it meant a lot to me to get to tell that story even though it was kind of difficult to tell because um you know my mom um didn't go to college because she started college and then she wanted to change her major so that she could either be a music teacher or a kindergarten teacher but she would have had to talk to someone in person and she was too scared to talk to the person so she dropped out of college and she i think she always kind of regretted it a little bit you know and but instead of teaching elementary school, she taught me. And so then when I was on Jeopardy and all these people started calling us from all over the country saying, oh, we knew it was your daughter. Oh, Susie, you know, people she hadn't heard from since she was in high school, people she hadn't heard from in years were calling her up. And some of them had just seen me, you know, they didn't even, they weren't, we, we didn't tell them to watch. They had just watched and they were like, oh, we could tell she was your daughter right away. And you know what? it made her so, so proud and so happy. And it was such a nice, nice thing that she got to get that, um, that kind of that validation about herself, like, and it made me feel good that I could make her proud. And I didn't know then that she was only 68. She had just turned 68. The, the, she turned 68 November 6th and she died November 13th. And her mom had lived to 86. So we didn't know anything was wrong with her. It was just, it was, um, but you know, it meant so much to me to be able to, um, to express her thanks to, to everyone at Jeopardy and to try to honor her the best that I could, you know, in that moment. And I thought Buzzy was very kind to um, let me do that. 
because he didn't have to. I mean, he was the host. He could have picked anything he wanted and we just would have talked about it. So I appreciated that because that was his first time host. I mean, that was his very first game. You know, I played in the very first game and he was probably very nervous and it's probably really hard to try to do an anecdote mentioning Alex's death and my mom's death. And, you know, probably be a lot easier to do the cute story about the kids, but um, that meant a lot to me. And I think it was special too, that he was the one hosting because he was always her pick for the next host. You know, Mm -hmm. she really liked the glasses. So um, that guy kind of derailed. Was I, I, did I answer I can, I also really like Madame Odio. I've been watching his games and I think he's fascinating. I think Mm -hmm. he is so interesting, especially the what's. Because people were saying it was a strategy. I was like, well, there's no way because you just, you don't have to think about the interrogative. You just say it. That can't, that can't be waste, you know, saving that much brain power. Because when I play, when I played in the studio, it was automatic to me to say the interrogative. I didn't even think about that part at all. And I don't say it at home. So I thought, well, that can't be true. But then he, you know, did some interviews and stuff and said, yes, it's true. This is my strategy. And I'm like, really? I mean, but his mind must work in such an interesting way. I mean, that's crazy to me that he could be somehow saving so much brain power just by saying what, you know, I, that must mean that he, because he researches neural networks. And I just think that's so interesting. I mean, I wonder how he's prepared, like what he's trained himself to do specifically, that that would give him such a great advantage because it obviously is working, you know? Yeah. I've, <laughs> I've kind of thought that if I ever get on that I would do the opposite strategy where I would purposely do the wrong interrogative, like say, <laughs> why is Shakespeare, or who, is, is, who is the Sistine Chapel? But he's, he's making me rethink it. I'm like, well, you know, it's, it's cool to be funny, but I think efficiency <laughs> is the most important part of playing Jeopardy. Yeah, I, I, he's just, he's, he interested me at first because I just thought he seemed so calm when he would get answers wrong. I mean, he would just be like, hmm. And so I thought, well, that's odd, you know, because, and then I thought, well, maybe he is doing some elaborate strategy because, you know, how like if you're trying to catch a ball and someone's throwing it to you and you're catching it and you miss it, you feel really bad. But if you're just kind of like, this is a terrible example. If you're like waiting for a bus or something and, and the ball's bouncing up and you catch it, sometimes it wouldn't be a big deal if you missed it. If you're actually doing something else. You know what? I, he plays like mm-hmm. he's doing something else at the same time. So I, mm. I feel like something's going on in that mind, but his mind works differently from mine because that, that wouldn't help me at all. I mean, I, so I, thought, I think it's really interesting. Uh, well, um, sorry. I, no, <laughs> that's, no, that's plenty. Well, uh, we have plenty to advertise with this episode. Say, Sarah Je- Rayburn reveals as <laughs> all her Jeopardy secrets. Um, but no, that's thank you for sharing all that. That was uh, that was lovely. Um, but so yeah, so I think uh, we'll go ahead and jump into the forever section, which is kind of the the point of the doing this sequel episode. So we're, we're going to talk about the guest hosts 
And uh, in case anyone needs a refresher, I'll run down who the the 16 guest hosts were in uh, chronological order of when their episodes aired. So it was uh, Ken Jennings, Mike Richards, Katie Couric, Dr. Mehmet Oz, Aaron Rogers, Anderson Cooper, Bill Whitaker, Buzzy Cohen, Maya Bialik, Savannah Guthrie, Dr. Sanjay Gupta, George Stephanopoulos, Robin Roberts, LeVar Burton, David Faber, and Joe Buck. So who was your favorite of the guest hosts? And who would have been your choice for permanent host if you were the one in charge of choosing from, and you were, you had to select from the guest hosts? Now it might be the same answer, for uh, both questions, or it might be different. We'll find out. Uh, I kind of envisioned this to be like what our answers would be before the news of the hirings were announced, but I mean, we can't ignore that entirely, but uh, we can talk about how our thoughts may have changed. But uh, Stephen, I'll let you answer those questions first since it's been a little while since we've heard from you. Yeah, sure thing. Uh, so when, it, when they first announced you know, the whole guest host thing, I was kind of trying to think like, okay, what are like the things that I think are important for a Jeopardy host to be able to do? And this was also something that when I was on the show, I was, you know, just as I'm sitting there watching it live and in person, I'm, I'm seeing so much more about what goes into, into taping it and into hosting the show. And that kind of gave me a new appreciation for all of the skills. It's not just, you know, having the voice and being able to get through, you know, 61 clues in a game without stumbling or at least stumbling too much over your words. But there's so much that goes into, you know, just the, the running of that show, because even though the host may have a producer and they are talking to them through an earpiece, like it's pretty much on the host and the contestants to, you know, keep the flow of things going. So there's the stuff that makes for good television and there's the stuff that makes for good, like operation of the show. So I was, I was thinking like my, my ideal person would be like someone that can make the trains run on time, someone that, you know, looks good and sounds good and kind of carries themselves well on TV. But the thing that I was looking for most is somebody who, a host who, even if you know they don't know all the answers, you believe that they know all the answers. I mean, I know that, you know, Alex was a, a very well-read man, a very intelligent man, but even he would admit that, you know, he doesn't know everything and he's got all the answers right there in front of him. But even though you, you intellectually know that he does watching him, the way that he carried himself on the show and the way that he hosted, you believe that he, that he would know all of those answers, whether they were in front of him or not. And to me, that was kind of the most important factor that I was looking for, even beyond, you know, the behind the scenes stuff and like having the broadcaster voice and things like that. Uh, I wanted somebody who could convince me that they are the man or the woman with all the answers. And I think that, you know, naturally, uh, Ken and Buzzy did an excellent job of that because, you know, they can, they can hold their own with just about anybody who's ever been on the show. Uh, that That's an easy one to suspend your disbelief on because you you have seen proof positive that these are two guys that know many, many, many of the answers. Um and I think that their experience in having played on the show and having experienced it from both sides of that podium kind of helped them keep things running smoothly. Like you got the sense that they were both students of the game and students of Alex, that they did a good job of keeping things running smoothly, at least not so not so badly that the, any mistakes couldn't be edited out in post. Uh, they were 
they were both supportive of the contestants without being overly enthusiastic and kind of drawing the attention away from the contestants and putting it on themselves. Uh, they, they kind of kept that mantra in mind that Alice would always say that the stars of the show are the players in the game, not the host. The host is more of a facilitator. And I felt like those two did a very, very good job of kind of balancing those two between like being authoritative and having that presence that, you know, lets you know the show is in good hands and gives you that impression that the person hosting the show could uh, could go out there and know all the answers even without them in front of them. But also like giving the contestants that, you know, that subtle little bit of support that they need. Uh, you know, you could you could really hear it in their voices that they appreciated good gameplay and if there was an especially exciting game or if there was a great wager or somebody pulling an answer out of nowhere, like they kind of gave it, you know, that little extra oomph that they that they held in reserve and only really brought out in those big, important moments. Because you can tell that they're fans of the show and they, they understand what it's like to be on, on the other side of, of the podium. Uh, so that, that was something that really stood out to me about them. Uh, I thought that uh, I didn't really consider this uh, when I was kind of, you know, picking my my ideal host in my head. But when you're there watching the game be taped, it really strikes you that even though it's not filmed live or filmed in real time, they try to film as close to real time as possible. And of course, there's going to be, you know, the host stumbling over lines and they're going to have to do pickups or there's going to be a break so that the judges can research an answer if a contestant makes a challenge. But it really struck me in watching how people with a live television experience uh, were really good at kind of maintaining that flow. And that was where I think uh, David Faber did a great job. Robin Roberts did a great job. Uh, Anderson Cooper was really good at that. Sanjay Gupta. I mean, even um, even Mike Richards did a very good job in his episodes of kind of, you know, keeping things moving at a nice steady clip and making sure that the trains were running in time and making sure that the game itself was, you know, flowing along smoothly. Uh, and I can certainly understand from a behind the scenes perspective, how, how important a quality that is. That's not something that necessarily conveys on TV, but I do remember hearing from contestants how some tapings were going much longer than they used to when Alex was hosting. And that's simply because hosting is a hard gig. And if it's your first or second time doing it, there's going to be, you know, a bit of a learning curve. But it seemed to me, at least from my perspective on my couch, that the people who were kind of used to that live circumstance, uh, even Aaron Rodgers, you know, there's, there's a whole lot more crossover between, uh, between being an NFL quarterback and hosting a game show than I ever would have considered. But that's someone who's used to, like, moving things along and digesting information and spitting out new information to people at a very, very steady, very, very rapid clip. Uh, and that was stuff that that felt like it conveyed well, but... Uh, for me, you can't beat the former contestants. You can't beat Buzzy and Ken uh, kind of bringing their perspective to the other side of the stage and being able to kind of to encompass all of those things, uh, but especially the being the man with all the answers. That's that's kind of what I was hoping for in a Jeopardy host, and I think that those two those two had that because you know that they've got it. Uh, it's it's tough to, to stand up to their resumes, and they, they fulfilled that wish uh, as well as anybody ever could. So are they the, are, would they be the top two choices for both of your, those questions for you? Yeah. You know, I just kind of, I, I, for me personally, I, it's hard for me to, to look at it totally as just someone watching it on TV, because I do understand that it is, you know, like they're on a tight schedule and you do want somebody to, you know, to be in and out of there on time. 
Uh, and I think that, you know, like someone like Robin Roberts or David Faber, like both did really, they seemed like they were really on point with that. And they, they were also kind of encompassing everything, even if maybe their strengths were, you know, not to say that I doubt that they, either of them could do well on the show. I'm sure they could, but, um, I, I think that like they were probably, they would be my guesses for being like the best at the, the behind the scenes stuff that doesn't convey as well on TV. And of course they've got broadcasting experience. So they, they're better at, you know, projecting themselves. They're more practiced at that than, you know, someone like Buzzy or Ken who have never had any, any hosting experience of any sort before. So I, you know, from my, from my fan side of thing and from, you know, my, my perspective on the couch, I think that Buzzy or Ken would be my top two choices. But as somebody who, you know, has been on set and who recognizes that it is, you know, it needs to be a well-oiled machine. I think that Robin Roberts or David Faber or uh, Sanjay Gupta was excellent as well, would have been very good uh, fulfilling the fulfilling the role and, and kind of fulfilling that side of the equation. So it's hard for me to say. I don't think, I don't think there's any one correct answer. I think if you could take, you know, a little bit of this from one host and a little bit of that from another host, eventually you'd be able to create, you know, you'd be able to create a facsimile of what Alex was able to do so well for so long. And I also think that the only, my only perspective on what makes a good Jeopardy host is what Alex did. So it's kind of hard for me to break out of that mindset of like, you have to do it exactly like Alex was doing it. Um, because that was a guy who was able to, you know, do everything. Um, so, you know, it depends on if I'm, if I'm, uh, if I'm answering that with my fan hat on or my behind the scenes hat on, but those, those in watching them, those were probably like my, my top, my top couple of picks from either of those sides. All right. Uh, yeah, those are definitely a few ways to think about it. We'll see if everyone else thought what their perspectives were. So dad, we'll go with you next. Then Sarah, you can chime in and uh, we'll finish it up with my thoughts. So dad, uh, take it away. Okay. Uh, I think I had similar criteria to Steven, but uh, different picks. Um, I'm, I was looking for someone who was articulate that had a passion for the game and showed concern for the contestants and also maintained control and could move it along. And, and like Steven says, I don't think you could always tell that because of editing, but sometimes you did see people that were a little slow and didn't, didn't always register uh, quick answers. And to point out, I, LeVar Burton was definitely slow on the uptick on sometimes, and there were a couple other instances. But I also, two general comments. Overall, I thought the quality of the guest host was, was quite high. I won't mention one doctor by name, um, who I don't even know why he was invited, uh, and it wasn't Dr. Gupta. Um, but the, uh, I also feel that many people were not auditioning for the role. Uh, they had very steady, successful jobs. Uh, if they were... Um, you know, if they were on CNN or ABC, they were not going to leave. And once Aaron Rodgers got his contract uh, settled, he was not going to leave. So there were very few people that I, you know, that were really auditioning for the job. Um, so uh, what I felt that Ken Jennings was the perfect person to do the transition in those six weeks. However, I don't want to be too critical, but I don't think 
I feel that he's got a lisp or something. And I didn't feel that he, and I would not want him to be my perfect, my permanent host. I just don't feel that uh, he's got the, the best voice. Um, Buzzy, I really liked and maybe would be good. I, he was the one person I was disappointed in because I felt he was a little subdued from his regular personality. If he was the full on Buzzy that, I've, that we saw performing, I think he would have been my top pick, but I felt that Mike Richards was the the top performer. And Jeff can verify this, that I probably said that um, two or three months into the, uh, into the run of, uh, of guest hosts and my opinion didn't change. And after that, I was next most impressed with Anderson Cooper and, uh, Sanjay. Um, and again, those people I didn't think were, um, were trying out for the role. So uh, again, the, the person I would have picked uh, was, I agreed with who they did pick, uh, was Mike Richards. Have you, well, I, we talked about it a little uh, last week, but have you, did you see the most recent article? I think it was just published yesterday on The Ringer. I don't know, um, that had even more revelations about Mike Richards' past. Did, did you see that? I've read them. I haven't read it in going into detail on them. I mean, it's, uh, I don't know how much was just him or um, other people on the shows and how much it's in the past. And I guess they've already gone ahead with it. Have they already made the final decision? So, yeah, I think, I think the, the day that we are recording this podcast episode is the day that is the same day that they're recording the first uh, couple of episodes for the next season of Jeopardy. Oh, so okay. yeah, so they've already, they've already gone ahead with the decision. So mm -hmm. um, even though it is, are, there are bad headlines out right now. It is mm -hmm. Mike Richards is the current host right now. Yeah. Um, so I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I'm trying to base it just on his performance right. as the host, and I, I really don't know just what did happen or or not. And yeah, yeah. right. Um, yeah, so I mean, I did say what were our thoughts prior to these prior to the announcement. So and yeah, I'd say most of us did not know everything that has been revealed. Yeah. So. Uh, but yeah, so uh, bring it on over to Sarah, who's the only one of us who was a contestant during one of the guest host runs. Mm -hmm. So perhaps that affected her thoughts, but we'll, we'll find out. Yeah, it probably did because I'm overwhelmingly biased in favor of Buzzy. And I know part of that is because I was playing with him. You know, it's hard when you see someone there, he was putting so much effort into it. And I think the reason he was more subdued is because he wanted to make sure that it was about the contestants, mm -hmm. well, the champions. He always called us champions. I mean, he, it was very interesting because there was a lot of emphasis put on that, that we were champions, no matter what we were champions, we were Alex's last champions and we were, you know, win or lose, we were champions, you know, and he would always, he spoke to us a lot about, you know, I know how you feel. I've been just where you've been standing. 
you know, he, he was really concerned that we were, he was hoping that we were getting the same great experience that he got and in that we got to all talk and interact and form a close group, even though there were all the COVID guidelines that, because you couldn't, I mean, you're so far apart in the studio and you have to be masked and you can't touch anyone. And there's all kinds of rules. I, I mean, it was very, um, very strict protocols were in place when we were playing, but we still did get to um, become a very close group. Like I say, we still text every day. And, uh, but I mean, he showed a lot of concern for us and he showed, I think a genuine respect and for, for, for Alex, you know, I, because I thought going in, how can, how can this work without Alex Trebek? And then I saw, oh, Buzzy's not trying to replace Alex. He's just trying to honor him, you know? And I thought that was a key, um, that was a key realization that I came to. Because for me, you know, I've been watching since I was a young child with my mom, then suddenly Alex dies, my mom dies. I think, well, everything's changing now. And you know, the way, the way things are going with the pandemic, you never know, everything seems so uncertain. And I just thought, well, this, who knows if this can even continue. And I, I don't, like, it was not that I imagined that Jeopardy wouldn't continue. It was just like, I couldn't see past. Uh, there was like a point and I had no idea what would happen next. You know, I was, I was scared to go. I didn't know what it would be like playing without Alex. And then when I saw that Buzzy just intended to, to honor him and to, um, do his, do the best he could to um, make the game run efficiently and to highlight the contestants, although the champions, you know, to, to make it a good experience for us to do what he thought Alex would have wanted him to do. Then I thought, well, this is okay. I felt like, I feel, I felt relief, you know, cause I'm like, okay, Jeopardy's not over. Everything's still going on, you know? I thought Buzzy did a great job, especially because he wasn't a professional television host, you know. Um, so yeah, I, I was definitely hoping for Buzzy to be the host, and for a selfish reason, because I was in his first game. So you know, if he became the host, it would be like, wow, now I'm a, I'm a little piece of trivia myself. You know? But uh, that's a very selfish reason, and that should not be factored into the decision. But it's funny because I feel like I'm almost identical to Stephen. Um, Stephen, you made such measured points, and I don't know that I haven't thought out that carefully, that pragmatically with all the categories, but I came up with the same people as you. I, I thought Ken Jennings was a natural, because like a natural person to go to because he's Ken Jennings. You know, no one would think Ken Jennings, that's crazy. Ken Jennings hosting Jeopardy. Um, so, I mean, I first, a big part of me really liked Buzzy and Ken. And then I also was quite impressed with David Faber. I didn't even know anything about David Faber and I really liked his hosting style. Um, I liked how he would say, um, like, I can't remember any of the specific words, but he'd give the noun back to you, like this car model. And then when somebody would say it, he'd be like, that's the car. <laughs> I thought that was kind of cute. Like a, a nice flourish. I thought he had a lot of uh, very, a lot of energy that he used in a very calming way. He seemed very controlled. And that was something I had appreciated about Alex Trebek. When I played with Alex, Alex also seemed like he controlled the, the space and controlled the stage and kept the show moving, but he used that energy to make everything calm, controlled, orderly. I thought that was a, a good quality in David Faber. Um, and then 
I also liked Robin Roberts. I thought she did a good job. And I liked Dr. Sanjay Gupta too, because I thought Courtney Shaw was able to become a champion playing consistently with him over the week. He seemed like that seemed like that was working out really well. So I thought from a contestant's point of view, he must be doing something right, you know, because she's able to flourish at, with him as the host. But uh, yeah, but then, you know, I will say that as far as hosting goes, I thought Mike was a natural choice too, because, um, you know, if you were to, some of the headlines have been very alarming, but if you, if the headline were to read game show host to host game show, like it wouldn't be surprising, you know, Mike is a professional <laughs> game show host, you know, I mean, cause that's something like Ken pointed that out, uh, you know, that, that Mike is the one with the, the, the chops, I think is the expression Ken used, but you know, he, he does have a career of hosting game shows. So it's not too surprising that he would be good at hosting a show. Um, I always thought from the beginning that it would either be Buzzy or Ken or Mike or Maya. Like, that's who I really thought it would be one of those four. And I really didn't think it would be anyone else except maybe Aaron Rodgers, but not after he signed again. Like sure. I, I, so, I mean, that's who, that's who I thought it would be one of those four, but I didn't have any idea that they were going to do a primetime show too. And I really didn't know which of the four it would be. I never thought it would be two of them. Um, but I was personally rooting for Buzzy because when you play in person with someone and you see like the dedication he's putting in, the work he's putting in, how important it is for him to get it right, you know, and we did have to do reshoots and things like that with Buzzy too. But the thing is, I never felt that his hosting ever made it harder for me to play the game. Like there was, um, I talked to a contestant who taped with LeVar Burton and I think he was just very, very nervous. You know, she, she told me about it in quite a bit of detail and, he just seemed like he was having a really hard time, probably because everyone seems to want that so much for him. I would feel like that would be a big burden that you would feel like you have to perform or you'll be letting people down, you know, but, and that, so there were a lot of, I mean, maybe an exceptional number of mistakes made that he was like his nerves were, were getting to him in that situation. Whereas with, with Buzzy, he didn't, he didn't do anything that made it harder for us to play. You know what I mean? He read the clues very clearly. He did when he, when, when we redid things, it was more like the interview portion or, you know, and we, we read shot the interviews oh. well, like a million times, but I mean, that could be my fault. <laughs> you know what I, I mean? I was, they wanted the, the anecdotes shorter, you know? Well, like so, a good, good host. He didn't tell you it was your fault. Well, I mean, he wasn't the one making the decision okay. to, to do it. I mean, Buzzy felt like one of us and like we were all just doing everything we could to make the best show that we could. I mean, that's, I, so I appreciated the, I, I thought he took it very seriously and I thought he did the very best that he could. And I thought that was pretty good. I, I mean, he's who I would pick to be the host, but there's already a host. So, I mean, I, I don't, really, I, I can't say that, like I said, the game show host, the host game show thing. I mean, that, that doesn't seem, doesn't seem like a shocking pick from that, from that aspect, you know? Um, and I did think that Mike Richards did also, this is something I liked about Buzzy. He read the clues very clearly. He yeah, kept the game moving. And I thought Mike Richards did that too, when he hosted, I, I did think that he, that he did that. And, and Mayim Bialik brings a lot of personality so I see I actually thought that 
she might, I was worried. I was worried because, you know, I was rooting for Buzzy lately. And so, and then I saw, oh, a lot of people actually really do seem to like her. Like, not just people, like people say, but people I talk to seem to like her, you know, in their own private social media or me talking to them. So I thought, yeah, she might get it because, so I was worried for Buzzy, you know, because I wanted him to be it. Because of like, just having played with him, I th- I really, that does bias me terribly. I, I can't uh, claim to be objective, but I thought that she does, she did have a lot of energy and she was doing something different than everybody else. She kind of stands out. So I could see why they might want her too. I mean, I, I, I think a lot of people did respond to what she was doing really well. And some people hate her. So that's another reason that she would stand out. I mean, she just, just seemed to be getting a lot more attention than some people. So I wasn't really too surprised to see her name, you know, as a serious contender, even though personally I would have picked probably Buzzy Ken, David Faber, David Faber really surprised. I mean, he kind of blew me away because I had no expectations of him at all. And I thought he was fantastic. So I, that's my long meandering answer. Um, that's, I didn't think, I, I will say one more thing though. I didn't actually think any of the guest hosts were too bad. I mean, in the hosting yeah. capacity. I thought, you know, um, LeVar Burton did seem very nervous and Bill Whitaker did seem maybe like a little bit, his pacing was slower than I would have. I he was like, he was you're, very, like you're very pleasant older uncle. You know? Yeah, he was just a little bit more. Yeah. Just, a but bit I mean, too, a bit too ASMR in my estimation. Yeah. <laughs> yes, but you know that's the kind of thing too. If they really liked him, they could have said, "Hey, Bill Whitaker, maybe you can do this differently." I feel like any of them could have done the job. Even, well, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I I think one thing that was nice with all the guest hosts is that that crazy process of all the guest hosts did highlight. Um, the contestants, I mean, it, do, it did make me think at a certain point, I'm like, boy, there's just another guest host, another guest host. And I started focusing entirely on the contestants. I mean, a lot more so than I would have done if Alex were hosting, even though what Alex wanted to do was highlight the contestants. It's hard. You see the reruns on now and you're like, oh, he's so good at this job. He should be the host. You know? uh, I mean, but, but, but watching, getting a little bit of guest host fatigue I really did watch the contestants very closely and it's cool now because you know having been a contestant you can reach out to people and say hey I saw you play and you were really great and they're not like ah the Jeopardy stalker you know because you have a reason to be talking to them I I, it seems like there are so many Jeopardy stalkers I (laughs) I don't want to be the Jeopardy stalker I worry about that seems like as once you're a contestant you're drafted into the fraternity sorority of Japanese contestants for life yeah so if you reach out you don't look totally crazy you know that's well maybe you do but they they write back anyway so so jeff yes that's what's the word from you well okay so yeah um well the answer to the first part of the question who was my favorite this was just like how much did i enjoy their run uh, and so my pick for, well, Sarah kind of led into it a bit. It was uh, Mayim Bialik. And I thought she did the best job of making the game her own. I uh, think there were, and there were, as you, you mentioned, Sarah, there were some people who weren't quite as fond of her, who were a little put off by her giggling quite frequently. Um, but 
I found that I, I did find it strange that she found so many of the clues so funny, but most in context of her whole performance, I found it endearing. Like she made the game her own in a way that didn't get in the way of the game. Like this, if she were chosen as the permanent host, not just the host for the specials, like I could have seen her really comfortably taking the show into a new era and not having misgivings about what she was doing. But I just uh, enjoyed her personality. I've I've seen every episode of the Big, Big Bang Theory, so I know her from that. And uh, she seems like a, a person who, you know, is pleasant enough. And, uh, you know, she's got the academic background. She has a, a PhD in neurobiology, I believe. Uh, so, you know, so she has the academic factor there. And uh, then for the other matter of, you know, who would I have hired? That one, I wanted the criteria. So when I was, for years, when I was thinking like who could replace Alex and you see these names bandied about and I was always thinking I'd kind of, I personally would want it to be a relative unknown because Alex wasn't a huge star when he first got the show. Uh, He was known as a game show host, but not one of the best game show hosts of all time. So I wanted it to be someone who could establish a reputation. And I also wanted it to be someone who wouldn't be missed too much from their other job, which you talked about, Dad. So my choice would have been David Faber, because I've never watched him on CNBC. He was the one of all these people that I knew the least about. So I wouldn't have missed him on his other gig. And he was, yeah, I thought he did a good enough job, a, an efficient enough job, as a, a few of you have already mentioned. So, yeah, the Mayim was my favorite, and David would have been my hiring selection. Okay, so uh, do we have any other thoughts on the guest host, or do we want to get into the area where, of the show where we start wrapping things up? I think we should ask if anybody has trivia. I do have a trivia question uh, prepared for everyone. Does, did anyone else come up with one? Uh, I, I have some in my back pocket I could throw out there if need be. <laughs> okay. Um, oh, I could, I, you know, I have some too if you need some, but I haven't, I have some that I wrote earlier that I could use for sure that we used it like playing trivia with the TOC. Okay, well, I'll, let's, let's do our all. Our TOC group for right uh let's i guess dad you don't have one no okay well i'll then uh sarah steven and i i guess we'll all each do one uh there's supposed to be trivia about jeopardy though right right oh Oh, about jeopardy then yeah (laughs) okay steven do you have one about jeopardy or the the guest host you said right Right. either about jeopardy or about the guest hosts uh i have one about jeopardy okay uh, well, let's hear it. All right. Uh, what is the name of the Jeopardy theme music? Oh, I don't know. I am. <laughs> All right. You're in, oh. you're in first buzzer. I think I know. What? <laughs> um, I'm going to give you a blank. No, it's something for Anthony. It, it uh, is not actually a word that you have said within the past 20 seconds. It's not even, it's not even it? No. But okay. you, you, 
have, you have said the answer. You just don't is know the think? answer. It is think. Oh, oh, okay. Did Marv Griffin write it? Yes, he did. Okay. Were you thinking of his, his son, Dad? Yeah. I thought he wrote it and named it after his, his son. That might be something else, another song you wrote. Oh, that's something to find out. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah, I remember it kind of being the, the backstory of this thong, song be having something to do with his son. Yeah. I just looked up Think Music on Wikipedia, but it's also yeah. the name of an Indian music label. So we'll, we'll have to we'll have to check that uh, information about the Jeopardy Think Music, but, to be sure. But uh, in the meantime, so I did have a question, a trivia question written down here. So here goes: How many of the guest hosts have been contestants on Celebrity Jeopardy? Mm. That's hard. Um, hmm. Definitely Aaron Rodgers. Give you a hint. It wouldn't be Buzzy or Ken, right? Right. It's it's at least one, and it's no more than 14. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, um. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't I, like I, Richards. Right. Okay, so. Well, I don't think it was David Faber because nobody nobody really seemed to know who he was before he showed up as the guest host. So, well, I mean, I'm sure somebody knew, but um, you know what I mean, Jeopardy. Right. Like uh, the Jeff, I'm going to say eight. Eight, okay. We've got eight. That's one answer. I'm gonna go with five. Eight. We've got we've got eight. We've got five. Well, then I'll say seven. <laughs> okay, Sarah's gonna go in the middle with seven, and we do have one correct answer. And Stephen, you got it with five. Oh, I thought it's more. Yeah. Can do you think you can name any of them? Uh, I know that Lavar Burton has won. I know okay. that Aaron Rodgers has won. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. I know that Cooper has been on it. I think that David Faber has been on. And he has? I, yes, he what? has. <laughs> I, I don't know who he is. Oh, How I about George? Maybe either Katie Couric or Sanjay Gupta. I figured that one of them was likely to have. So I figured that what about was- Dr. Oz? Was he ever on? No. Well, I, I searched in the J archive, so I, I, I used the search function, so I hope it gave me the right answers. I, I'm sure you're right. I don't know. Um, the, uh, the fifth one was Robin Roberts. Jeff from the future popping in here with a quick correction. So it turns out I somehow missed one of the Celebrity Jeopardy contestants, one of the guest hosts who was a Celebrity Jeopardy contestant. So the correct answer was actually six. So nobody got it right. Somehow I missed that Dr. Oz was a contestant uh, back in the day. Not sure how I missed that. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I blocked that out of my memory. And in doing my research, I just was somehow it was out of a region of my cranial perception. I don't know. Anyway, so the correct answer was actually six. Aaron Rodgers... Anderson Cooper, Robin Roberts, LeVar Burton, David Faber, Dr. Oz, 
please anyone fact check me, double check, triple check, quadruple check. So, uh, and if I need to post another correction, it will show up in some form. But I, I believe I did double and triple check this time, George. So it should be correct. Yeah. Okay. Not George. Not George. Yeah. I, th- I would have. I feel like I have a vague memory of him being on, so I hope I, wonder, I didn't miss that. I wonder, well, he might have been. I know that they used to have Power Players Week, which was like Washington type. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've seen. I've seen George be on that. I, I doubt I remember that, but I don't remember David Faber being on. I, yeah. that's, that's a surprise to me. <laughs> I probably watched it too. I mean, I. It was, it was uh, his episode was back in 2012. Oh, okay. I definitely would have been watching then. I and mean, and that weird. that was a Power Players Week, so I did count that as celebrity. Okay. Oh, that's probably why, because a lot I remember not knowing a lot of the Power Players. Well, not a lot, but there were several of them I didn't know, and I thought, I guess this shows I'm not a Power Player. Well, so interestingly, <laughs> so. His opponents that episode were Dana Perino, who was a host on a Fox News show, and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Oh, okay. When I think of Celebrity Jeopardy, the number one person I always think of is Kareem (laughs) Abdul-Jabbar. Unfortunately, he was not a guest host, but he's like my go-to Celebrity (laughs) Jeopardy contestant. I just remember he used to be on a lot. Maybe not a lot. Maybe it was just at a really impressionable time in my life. But I remember him being one so many times. Yeah, he was. They have a like a firm memory of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar being on. Yeah, I know for moments that that have stuck out in in people's imagination, like missing a question that meant where the answer was Kareem (laughs) Abdul-Jabbar. Right. Yeah, we, yeah, we talked about that on the what you you mentioned that on the the last Jeopardy episode. Maybe they should have had Cheech as one of the uh, guest hosts. I think Cheech Marin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's an excellent player. Yeah, it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Well, they could have had. Uh, yeah. So the finalists, they could have had any of the three finalists of the million dollar celebrity tournament so that was Cheech and Jane Curtin and the winner was uh, Michael McKeon so. I don't know if it's still there but they had a framed uh, framed picture of their of their taping in the green room uh, uh, at least- we were, the last time we were there we weren't allowed into the green room because they're mm. as they may have changed it back now but we were using the wheel of fortune set as a green room because of COVID restrictions mm-hmm the last people I've talked to were still doing that, but I don't know what they're doing right now. We'll find out soon enough if they've changed it because the, the new episodes will start airing in three and a half weeks, or well, three weeks from the, the time I, I post this episode. All right, so uh, we've come to the end of the show, I believe. Uh, we've just got one more thing to do. I'm going to give everyone a chance to promote anything that they may have going on. And also to answer the question, is there anything you'd like to recommend that you can enjoy with your aunts and or nephews? Because this is, that's entertainment. And uh, Aunt Beth may not have been on here today, but uh, Sarah, as we were discussing before the show, she actually, she is an aunt, although there was a little bit of backstory behind that. (laughs) There's always a backstory with me. I'm sorry. (laughs) Nothing's ever straightforward. Um, am yes. I supposed to? Yeah. 
No, go ahead. Uh, well, yeah, sure. You're, yeah, you go ahead. Uh, so anything you'd like to promote or anything you'd like to recommend? I do have something to promote. Um, I'll have a new book coming out soon. Um, I'm, I'm working on a series called Limitless Night, and it's available um, on Amazon Kindle. So I'm actually several books into it at this point. So if you want to start reading it for the first time, um, it is called Limitless Night. That's the first book. And then Astral Plane Jane is the next book. Um, that is an excellent name. What? That, that is an excellent name. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, a what name? Astral Plane Jane. That is an excellent name for a book. Oh, an excellent name. Thank you. I thought I couldn't hear the adjective. So I was like, oh, I hope he said excellent. Because I'm like, what would he have said? Um, thank you. Yeah, that's... Uh, so Limitless Night, Astral Plane Jane, uh, The Call of Silver Knights, and the fourth book is the one that's just about to come out. I don't know if I should, like, I'm not sure if I should, re well, I don't know. It's not out yet, but it'll be next month. So, um, but if you haven't started reading the series, it's called Limitless Night. So it's, it's young adult, but it's the kind of thing that really adults could read as well. It's um, a little bit of urban urban fantasy that kind of veers into um, horror and um, just a bit of, of fantasy as well. So it just keeps going all over the place. But um, if you like suspense or ghosts or strange rural murders, you know, then it's it's the series for you. It's a terrible self-promotion. So um, should, should we, can we jump right into the new book if we haven't started it or do we need to start right from the beginning? Uh, you probably should start from the beginning. I mean, it's your choice if you want to start with Limitless Night or Astral Plane Jane. I would recommend starting with book one because what it is, uh, the series is interlocking trilogies. So you start with two narrators in the first book and they're trying to solve this very strange um, occurrence that's happening to them. One girl, these two girls meet at a homecoming game and they don't, they barely know each other. They've, they've been in e together, you know, gym class together. The one girl has a car, but she doesn't know anybody she's new. She doesn't have any real motivation to do anything. She's kind of just alone and unhappy. Then this other girl needs a car. <laughs> so um, she sees her boyfriend, she had this passionate relationship with her boyfriend, just, just like kind of true love thing, you know, or, and first love, true love, kind of intense passion. And then the boyfriend disappeared. He just completely disappeared, left his family, left her. No one's heard from him. He shows up at this homecoming game and just looks at her, but then just kind of looks past her as if he doesn't know her. She knows that can't be right. So she decides to follow him. So she finds this other girl who has the car and they end up following him and they witness this ritual murder that the, that the guy commits. But she, uh, the girl, Tivia, who's in love with this guy, she's like, that can't be right. That's not him. He wouldn't do that. And the other girl, Zale, she says, well, you know, we just saw him do it. What are you talking about? It has to be him. A list has fallen out of his pocket and there are three names on the list. They know that the first name belongs to the murdered girl because there are people who are cult members running after they're screaming her name. So the, the first name is the girl who was just killed. The second name is a man's name they don't recognize. The third name happens to be the name of the grandfather, I mean, the grandmother of the girl with the car. 
who shouldn't even be involved in this at all. So then it becomes like a sort of what's going on kind of thing. And they have to figure out what's going on and how to save this guy. Noah is his name, if it is Noah. And um, so they get led into this sort of world within a world type thing. And they barely dip their toe in. I mean, the whole book is them trying to save this guy and figure out what's going on. And then in the next book, you get kind of, well, the next three books, you get a prequel trilogy from the point of view of another character expanding this world so that you realize they barely even have a taste of these horrors and corruptions and awful things that are happening. And there's this much larger problem that they weren't even aware of. And then in the fifth book, you jump back to uh, the original narrators again, now that you have the whole thing kind of expanded this is like not a good pitch for this book at all but I promise it's good and if you buy it I will be happy <laughs> that's not I don't know it's called Limitless Night is okay. the is the name of the first book it's a, it's on Amazon Kindle and I guess I can also promote my uh, movie review site Sarah Cinema Treats I think it's just sarahcinematreats.com I'm not sure I don't even know my own website name that's you can go to my Twitter and and find it it's there I'll, I'll check it and link to it in our, our show, night, show notes. Oh, thank you. And that's it. Um, if you have an, an aunt, you could enjoy my books with her, I am All sure. Right. So <laughs> whether she wants to or not, you could sit and read them with her. I read them with my daughter now. She's in middle school, so she likes them. She's my, I've actually written, there will be six books and I've written through the fifth book, but the one that's about to come out is the fourth book. So I'm in an okay. editing frenzy. So right. that, that, yeah, so, sorry. That was not a great pitch, but I promise I'm a really good writer. I'm just not good at speaking. Okay. That, that was convincing, right? I, well, I'll, I'll have to read the book and make sure, but I'll, okay. I'll take your word for it. Okay. Uh, okay, and then, uh, Stephen, anything to promote or recommend? Uh, I have absolutely nothing to promote. I have written no books, let alone five books. <laughs> Um, but as far as recommendations go, uh, it's more about uncles, and nephews and nieces than aunts and nephews and nieces, but I did just finish watching Gravity Falls. Uh, oh, that is my daughter's favorite show. That, I'm sorry. <laughs> my daughter loves that show. It was so much fun. It was, it was so much more than I, I've been meaning to watch it for a while. Uh, and you know, like DuckTales meets Twin Peaks isn't mm -hmm. the kind That's of perfect i'm from like a disney channel animated show but that was exactly what i ended up getting out of it like ducktales twin peaks x files like just a whole mm -hmm. mess of really good stuff uh just filtered through you know some really cool animation some great music uh wonderful wonderful performances and like a storyline that is like un goes unexpected places and gets there mm -hmm. in unexpected ways yeah it just some very, very sophisticated storytelling. Uh, just another entry in the long list of things that proves that animation as a medium doesn't necessarily have to be for one specific age group. Uh, like you can tell adult stories with animation. You can tell kids' stories with animation. You can tell stories that appeal to both kids and adults in the same way or in different ways with animation. Uh, it's, it's just another way of telling great stories and Gravity Falls is a great story. I agree so much with that. My, my family loves that show. My daughter, it was her birthday party theme. But I mean, she's 12. And then my daughter is 12. My older son is 18. My younger son is six. And that's the one show everybody loves to watch, including my husband and me and my parent. Well, my dad now, you know, I mean, we that's a household favorite around here. So I 
just would like to second that. That was a great pick, Stephen. Thank you very much. All right, Dad, over to you. Anything to promote or recommend? Uh, not promoting. I did finish watching a Schmigadoon, and we uh, we enjoyed that quite a bit. I think I think the whole family could watch that. I just finished watching it before we started recording. Uh -huh. Um, I think you were on my, you must have been using my Apple TV account because it said you've finished watching this show. I'm like, I didn't finish. So. Yes, I appreciate having your Apple TV and other, any of your other channels. Yeah, uh, there is so much to stream nowadays. Yeah. Uh, so as usual, I will promote my open invitation to Ken Jong to be a guest on this podcast whenever he has a free moment. And as usual, I am publishing reviews and whatnot on my blog, jmoney.com. And as far as recommendations to go, I think a couple of things that you can enjoy with the family are, I always like watching sports events with my family and there's a couple of good ones coming up. Uh, the Little League World Series is going on right now. The championship game is on August 28th. That's a Saturday. And the U.S. Open, the tennis tournament, starts in, on August 30th. So that's, that'll be about a week from when this episode posts. And yeah, that's pretty much everything. Uh, if uh, you liked listening to this episode or to this podcast in general, you can leave us a review on your favorite podcast listening platform, or you could head to ratethispodcast.com slash that's entertainment. Uh, and if you're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, you can follow us there. And uh, thank you, Sarah, Stephen, and Dad for making time for this. You're welcome. You. Of course. And all right, so that'll be that. Um, don't have Aunt Beth right here, so I'll have to chime in with her regular sign-off, which is, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> not excuse me, I had to clear my throat. Her regular sign-off is, what is good night? And then I'll jump in with my sign-off, which is, keep your remotes handy and your eyes open. Wait, don't press stop. As promised, I'm jumping in with a postscript recorded after the initial recording and in light of the news that has emerged since we recorded. So as I mentioned in the intro, we recorded on Thursday night, then on Friday morning it's revealed that Mike Richards has now stepped down as host of Jeopardy. And in light of revelations posted on the ringer.com, among other places, about some of the derogatory comments he made on a podcast he used to host and the lawsuit history he was involved in where were wrongful termination shoots, suits back during his time on The Price is Right and also interviews with people who've worked with him on Jeopardy and in other shows, just painting a picture of someone who may not have been the best choice. So, uh, yeah, so that had all been published before we recorded, but we were focusing on all the guest hosts in general and trying, you know, not, not focusing too much on that news, but we did want to acknowledge the hosting decisions that have been made. So 
once the announcement had been made that Mike Richards would be stepping down, it felt like, oh, well, we can't ignore this. So we weren't quite able to gather everyone back together for another Zoom conversation, but I did reach out to all my guests and got a response from each of them. So my dad texted me and he said, uh, I would vote for Buzzy now. So there's there's that update. And then Steven sent me a message, which I'll go ahead and read to you right now. Uh, so he says, uh, as I said on the podcast, there were two sides to what I was looking for in a host. How good they seemed at running things behind the scenes and how good they were at presenting themselves to the contestants and the audience. No matter how good Mike Richards was at keeping the trains running on time during his stint as guest host, this most recent batch of revelations showed him to be so low on the other half of the equation that his position as permanent host was no longer tenable. One thing that Jeopardy is great at is making contestants feel comfortable in a very uncomfortable situation, and knowing that a person with his views and biases was the one asking the questions or deciding how much time a person got to answer a daily double easily could have, and likely would have, wrecked that sense of comfort for some contestants. His presence behind the podium could have very easily had an impact on the game itself, and certainly would have had an impact on his ability to present himself as the man with all the answers. Especially considering that in one of his podcast episodes, he admitted that trivia really isn't his thing. Uh, Stephen continues, I think that him stepping down was in the best long-term interests of the show, and hopefully this leads to a different set of priorities when selecting, and a more thorough vetting process for whoever is chosen to succeed Alex. And Sarah also, Sarah uh, sent me a response as well. We'll get to that in a second. I just wanted to chime in. So, I did, yeah, I didn't go into detail. I mean, none of us really went into detail about our thoughts originally about the revelations regarding Mike Richards. But So when he was announced as host or when... The, the initial announcement was he's finalizing a deal with Sony to be named the next host. There was a lot of negative reactions to it. I was like, hmm, that's surprising because his stint initially went pretty well. The, the reaction online seemed to be mostly favorable. And the, the main thing people seemed to be upset about was how he had changed the show during his stint as executive producer and the idea that he had been kind of manipulative and sort of guiding his way into be selected as host was like, you know, was he in charge of the process to find a new host only so that he could choose himself? And I was like, I, I didn't know enough about what was really going on at the time to come to those same conclusions. So I'm like, yeah, it doesn't bother me too much. And then the lawsuit history came out and I'm like, ugh. Well, that's a little worse. And then the podcast comments came out and the behind the scenes issues came out. And I'm like, yeah, he does not seem like he has the right persona for guest host. Despite how he seemed to, for the most part, while he was uh, guest hosting. So, yeah, so uh, he... He did record a full day's worth of episodes, and it's been announced that those will 
actually air in their entirety, which I think is the right call. It would be unfair to the contestants of those episodes to either replay the games or just can those episodes. So Mike Richards will be the permanent guest host for a week of shows, as it turns out. Uh, Okay, and then so Sarah, she recorded her reaction to uh, all this news, and it's about 10 minutes long, so we'll get to that right now. She also talks about her experience as one of the moderators of the Jeopardy subreddit, so yeah, a lot of information that she's she gets into so we'll cut to her right now and then i'll pop back in and that will be the actual conclusion of this episode i'm tremendously relieved about mike richard stepping down as host i because i didn't tell you this before but i was so stressed out about it about that whole debacle that i was nervous about appearing on this podcast and uh steven said to me you know don't worry jeff's my friend he loves jeopardy this will be a friendly conversation and i did have a great time talking to you Uh, But I was worried. And another friend tried to reassure me, you know, he said, don't worry, everyone's reacting. It doesn't matter what you say, you know, because I don't have a very loud voice. But it matters to me what I say. Claire McNear is a dedicated journalist, and she's so good at promoting her book. I wish I were even half that good at promoting my book. But but she is a journalist, and she gave us Mike Richards' own words. I'm a novelist. You know, I only have my words. I haven't done her research. She she really did her research. Um, but what I did discover was something that just alarmed me more and more. Um, I didn't bring it up when we talked before because I just didn't want to spring it on you and your dad in that way. I didn't. I, I'm. Yeah. Um, last Friday. Uh, Chris Stratton, one of the moderators of the Jeopardy subreddit, uh, which is not affiliated with the show. It's a fan community. um, And it's a very nice Reddit. It's a very uh, good place that encourages contestants to come and talk and share their experiences on Jeopardy. It's pretty friendly to contestants. Chris reached out to me and Jennifer Quayle uh, because we post there all the time. And he wanted to ask us to join the moderating team. Um, because between Matt Imodio's really uh, exciting, explosive run and uh, the new host announcement, the subgist, the traffic, just like there was an explosion of traffic and they needed more mods kind of right away. And he thought, you know, we were a natural fit. And so I agreed to, to, to do that. So I'm still kind of getting used to being a moderator. I don't know if I'm very good at it, but um, because I agreed... I got to see in um, in great detail that community's reaction to the initial announcement and to Claire McNair's articles. And after that second piece featuring the old podcasts, I can't overstate the horrified reactions of that fan community. If you were to go there... You wouldn't see everything like if you were to visit the Reddit right now, you wouldn't see it all because it's been the moderators have been just really working overtime. It's there's been the less civil things have been removed. Um, But I talked to the other moderators, too. And, um, you know, as people like we talked in a moderator chat. So it's not just like with some Reddit names. I know who the people are. And um, like, how do I? 
this is not, you know, you hear about manufactured outrage or internet spin or whatever. This is not manufactured outrage. This isn't performative shock. This is genuine outrage and horror and shock and sadness and dismay. I mean, people were in tears, um, sickened. I, the, and these are people who love Jeopardy. I think the intensity of their reaction shows how much the show means to them. And I've seen them all, all this season, like since I got back from the TOC, I've been watching really closely. I really got into watching Matt. Um, I've seen everybody so excited to talk to the contestants, so excited to watch Matt and talk about him. And they love to talk about strategy and they love to talk about, you know, optimal ways to win. And when they go on the show and can they get enough right on the test and, um, and they've been so excited wanting to go on for years and um, suddenly they're worried they can't watch anymore, like not even watch anymore. They don't know if, if they, if it's morally right. Um, they don't know if it's okay to go into that kind of environment. Like they don't want to be associated with remarks uh, like the ones Claire brought to light. They don't know if they'll be safe there. I mean, they, they, they don't, it's kind of just spiraling out of control, just snowballing, but it's, it's not just, there are some people in there just trying to agitate, but for the most part, it's, it's genuine. And um, they say things like there's nobody good left at Jeopardy. That is not true. I, I've been there myself. I can vouch for that. I mean, there are many good people left at Jeopardy. And also, just because people are newer, that doesn't necessarily mean they're not good people. I mean, when I was there, everyone was doing their job. Everyone was working hard. They treated us just with great kindness um, and respect. We were treated very, very well. And, you know, but once people read the kinds of things that Claire wrote or um, listen to the audio, uh, they just, words matter you know, and they make an impression and you, you just can't undo that. And I, I've said it before. I know I people probably think I sound really hyperbolic in my praise, but it's I'm being very sincere. Um, I have nothing but respect and praise for the people who work on that show. I was treated really well. All of us, you know, were treated well. And Jeopardy is more than one person. Um, so it's even if the worst is true, you know, it's not just Mike Richards. There are a lot of people who work there. They're really good people. I think I think so highly of them. But it's hard for people who haven't been there to get a sense of that. And just me telling them doesn't necessarily, you know, convey the truth of that because they haven't experienced it. So, like, well, I think Mike Richards is a perfectly um, adequate host in terms of reading clues and that kind of thing. Like he has experience, he can do that job. Watching all of those reactions and reading through people's posts and reading other people's complaints about other people's posts and kind of, and listening to the audio and reading Claire's articles and keeping up with all of that. Um, it just became increasingly clear to me that Mike Richards perceived ethos after people read the words in Claire's articles was uh, genuinely disturbing people and that it might have even been been um, 
damaging the reputation of the show. Fortunately, this is like stopped really soon. And I think that that damage will be quickly reversed. It may already be reversed. Um, personally, I believe Jeopardy could succeed with any host. I've seen how hard the people there work. And I believe even like, Someone even totally inept like me could be the host. I mean, I because they would make it work, not because I could do it. But I mean, I think they could take anybody and make it work because they work really hard and they, they care about their show and they do a good job. But ideally, they'll find the right host that won't make the whole process difficult or stressful. You know, someone fans can trust. It can't be Alex Trebek. He's not available, um, but it needs to be someone that fans and people who want to be contestants uh, respect, someone they respect, or at least um, someone that they feel will respect them. Uh, I love Jeopardy. Like, I love it. Watching with other fans has actually, I've been watching it probably too attentively. I have other stuff I need. <laughs> to be doing I'm not doing a great job of that um but it's been kind of a solace for me to be able to watch with other people especially you know like on in that reddit and on twitter and facebook and kind of be connected to and my you know chatting with the other toc my my little toc cohort you know it's nice to feel connected to other people who also love jeopardy because I used to watch with my my mom and she's gone now and I think it's it makes me feel better when I can have some continuity and some cheer, you know, brought into my life. And I'm not just thinking about. But the point is, um, I forgot the point. Um, oh, yeah, the point. Sorry. Um, my point is that it upsets me to see that people, you know, I just, I don't like it when people say Jeopardy's over now that Alex is gone because there's no reason that has to be true. I believe, I really do, that Jeopardy will continue to be a great show. I think that's what everyone wants. That's clearly what everyone on that subreddit wants. I mean, they, they love the show. And I wish them, like at Jeopardy, I wish them the best of luck in finding a host who's the, the perfect fit. And I think they will. I think Buzzy's great, like I said. I think Jimmy McGuire from the Clue Crew deserves a chance now that the whole thing is open again. Uh, Ken, David Faber, Robin Roberts. But I mean, I'm sure there's any number of people. I'll watch no matter who's the host. I'll watch no matter what. And um, I think most people who love the show want to keep watching it too. And I do think that Jeopardy will be able to find the, the right person in time to be the right host for the show okay thank you sarah for all that and one thing one heartening thing that i thought of while listening to what sarah had to say is that although there's been a lot of strife going on in the community jeopardy community lately one thing that's one other thing that's been clear is just how passionately a lot of people feel about this particular game show and I saw some reactions from some people when Mike Richards was announced as the new host of uh, people saying, I don't think I've ever, I'm ever going to watch the show again. I think the show is on its last legs. I think it might get canceled within a year. And I'm like, 
that seems really doubtful to me. Uh, I'm not doubting the people who who said they were going to stop watching. I think those people did mean it genuinely. But I just thought this show is too popular. It's too much of a money maker for Sony and everyone who has a stake in it to just go away like that. I mean, it would have to be completely destroyed somehow. And I think you know, Sarah was talking about there are enough good people who work on the show that there are, are enough guardrails in place for it not to be ruined completely. So, you know, that that's what I uh, take uh, solace in, just how much so many people love this show. And I f- think that is uh, a good sign for the future. Who, Whoever the permanent guest host does end up being um, and forever, however long the guest host routine continues for, I think this show is durable enough that it's still got years and decades left to go and there might be another That's Entertainment episode dedicated to it uh, sometime in the future, so... Alright, yeah, this is the end of the episode, the actual end of the episode, so I'll say once again, keep your remotes handy and your eyes open.